Hello, and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael, and we're here today for faculty meeting 159, How to Pick a Game. And this is part of our continuing series where we are looking back at some of the original episodes of the RPG Academy. Tom is kind of re-listening to what was then Dungeon Talks. I don't know when they convert to Table Talks or Table Topics, probably somewhat soon. And he's just getting an idea of what we talked about then and there and how things have changed and all that kind of good stuff. So, Tom, say hello to everyone and welcome to the show again, co-host person. <laughs> hello, everyone. No, it feels like I'm glad to be welcome because it feels, even though I did record when we were moving and everything, some, I'm now in our house, our new place, somewhat settled. I've, I'm working on getting my recording space put together, I've got my board games out. Everything's unpacked, so I feel like this this is the this is a new start for me. New start. It's Tom point oh. Tom point oh. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, Michael. One thing I, I did want to. You know what? No, I'll let you keep on going on script. <laughs> All right. So um, before we get too far into the show, we always like to take a moment and talk about why we're here. So the goal of these faculty meeting episodes is that at some point in the conversation that Tom and I are about to have, that we hope there's at least one little snippet, one little nugget of wisdom that you, dear listener, can take and apply at your tables for your games to make them more fun for you to run and for your players to be in. But we understand that the opinions we share and the advice we give may not work at every table every time. But there is one piece of advice that we feel is pretty universal. And Tom, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you're playing, the system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, as long as you and everyone at your table is having a good time, you're doing it right. So with that out of the way, uh, new patrons, we, we don't have any new ones this week. We've actually lost a patron fairly recently. I mean, again, things happen totally fine. Uh, but we were on an upswing for a while. We were adding numbers of patrons. Uh, the numbers were going up. We were getting very excited. And then one of the patrons that left recently was one of our larger tiers. So it kind of, you know, mm. even though we're still up in number of patrons, we're now down lower than we were dollar-wise. So Always appreciated, never expected, but if anyone is interested in supporting us, please go to the Patreon for as little as $3 a month. Um, it really does, again, start to add up. And then also just I will mention that I've had a couple people that have started subscribing on Twitch using their free Amazon Prime subscription. So if you're an Amazon Prime member, you can get a free Prime subscription every month. It basically gives us $4 a month, does not cost you anything extra other than the time it takes to set this up. It's about 10, 15 minutes to create the accounts if you don't already have them. And then you do have to go in once a month and re-click the button, which is a bit of a hassle. But if we could get even like 10, 20 people out of everyone, everyone who listens to us, if 10 to 20 of those people have Amazon Prime and they're not already supporting someone, that would be a huge boost in our overall patron number. So that would be very cool. And then lastly, our patron of the week is none other than Edward Tate, New York Tater himself, who I hold is personally responsible that detention did not go away because there was a period of time where it almost did. And New York Tater was like, hey, when are you doing detention again? Hope, when are you doing detention again? And then he, for a long time, would come every time we did it. Often he would be the only one there. And he sort of kept inspiring us to continue. And it's now basically one of my favorite shows to do. And we consistently have four or five, six people there. And it's just a ton of fun. So uh, I really appreciate your patronage of our site, your friendship. He's done things outside of Patreon. He's actually sent me individual donations before in relation to a Catacon. Uh, he's just a good dude. And I'm glad to know him. Cool. All right. With that out of the way, we're on to the RPG news. So what you got for me this week, Tom? 
Uh, yeah. So RPG news, like I said, so I'm still a little bit, uh, I'm still out of the RPG zeitgeist still. I'm slowly coming back. All right. This is not like people may have not seen me around a lot. I didn't disappear. Trust me. I'm, I'm coming back slowly and steadily. All right. Just like season three of the Mandalorian. He's coming back. It's coming back soon it will be back to where you expect it to be with all of its great takes and everything so but uh so really all i have right now is more supply chain crises okay uh but the thing that's interesting is it's now hitting wizards Ooh. yeah i know right so they announced journey through the radiant citadels this is their new anthology book was going to is delayed now it's supposed to come out in june now it's not coming out till mid july i they also, they just they just said they said Planescape is not delayed. They said that. I'm like, mm. Mm, you guys may be jumping the gun a little bit here, saying it's not going to be delayed, but we'll see. That one's not coming out till later this year. But yeah, I mean, stuff I mean, is based on their normal cycle. It should be September, right? Isn't that basically when they always come out, June and then September? Yes. So I, I think it's going to be interesting, uh, just with the continual shortage of paper and just trying to get boats around the world uh update on the magpie avatar uh game they are said to deliver uh sometime at the end of summer so it's supposed to deliver in february of this year end of summer now which honestly that's not too bad for a kickstarter with everything going on so they can hit that mad props to them but uh yeah so it's kind of it's a little bit of everything. I'd be curious to talk to I've I've talked to a few other small creators about how, what they're going through right now, especially Federico Sones, Nibiru and whatnot. Um they they haven't had uh, too many issues, but they were really creative on the front end, and obviously they don't have as big of a print run, but they were they're like, "Oh yes, there are problems. I was able to, to avoid the problems a little bit by thinking ahead and being a little creative with everything." So I'd be curious to see if any smaller creators are dealing with that i know calum with paris gondo is dealing with having to increase the price on the game a Mm -hmm. bunch just because printing prices went up like 30 something percent on it so yeah and when you're doing those small batches like you know he needs to do for his game like a small increase is it's huge i know this is not rpg related but wizards did announce that uh the magic prices were going up so, um, and then also, this was a while ago, and then also, um, Dragon Shields, are you familiar with them, Michael? Yes, the, they're like the premium card sleeves. Their prices are going up too, finally. So, not wow. much, but I think, I'm curious to see, I think the, uh, the, the Waystone is going to be when Wizards decides to increase the cover price price of their hardcovers from $50 to I think the next price is $59. I think they'll go up that much, which is like, that's a huge jump, but it's just kind of like, oh, that kind of makes sense for our kids. But I'm like, I'll still buy them from Amazon. But yeah, news-wise, what about Action 12, a catacomb? Anything bubbling in the RPG Academy sphere? Uh, So Action 12, the latest update is Tracy is expected to deliver the Ashcan version this week. Uh, This episode we're recording on Tuesday. I expect to have it out probably tomorrow or Thursday. So when you're hearing this, I very well could have it in my hands. Now, it's been delayed multiple times. 
I've been in contact with Tracy. I understand what's going on. I completely, un, you know, it's like there's no hard feelings, but it has already been delayed multiple times. I'm really hoping that, that this happens, that this deadline is met because um, I'm just excited to get onto the next step of the process, which again, I have at least one publisher who has already asked to see that version when it's done. And then I'll probably approach a couple others and just say, hey, would you, would you look at this? And then if I don't get enough interest to maybe have a publisher take over either publishing or them helping with the Kickstarter, then I probably will go an independent route at the Kickstarter. What I'm running in, into now is that Kickstarter will not allow you to run two simultaneous Kickstarters because there's been some some things that have happened where, you know, two campaigns didn't end up happening and, or one caused the delay in the other, blah, blah, blah. So with the Akatacon Kickstarter imminent, I would either have to run the Action 12 Cinema before, which is not going to happen, or after. And after the Akatacon Kickstarter, it's kind of a Akatacon season for me. Yep. I'm going to be very, very busy. I don't know that I'm going to be able to run it. So if it's the independent route, there's a good chance we're looking at 2023. I mean, who knows? Maybe we could do it, like use a catacon as, you know, this big, like people are excited for what we're doing, you know, then we launch it, you know, we I mean, can be... it's certainly possible. Uh, I, w- I wouldn't say no, but I just, I don't want to, I don't want to put any ducks in row or, you know, chickens before mm-hmm. eggs or carts before horses type of a thing. Uh, I did want to mention also on the Action 12 front is I ran a play test of it yesterday or Sunday with the guys from Tabletop Journeys. Uh, they oh. do a show called Field Trips, which is basically trials. Uh, they get the designers of a game to run them through a one shot of a system they never played before. Um, and they loved it. They all had a had a great time. And again, it was very um it may, it, again, it added another level of comfort that I've once again shown this game to people and no one has said, this isn't a game. Like, you know, they like, like, this is a really fun, not only is it a game, they all had a really fun time and they're like, yes, we would definitely back this or buy it if it was available. Reassuring, I guess, was the word I was struggling for. That, it, it again, as I said on Twitter, despite all the opportunities to do so, no one has yet said this isn't actually a game. And so that's very reassuring. Okay, is that, so is that going to be something that's going to like, Will we be able to listen to then? Yes. So it's going to come okay. out. I think it's supposed to schedule for July. It'll be a three, maybe four episode uh, actual play series. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and then I will give it one slight update to the new game that I'm working on uh, called Thief Down and Out, which is going to be a solo journaling RPG about a thief trying to make one last job before they retire is I wrote the majority of Action 12 Cinema actually like sitting down and writing it two years ago on vacation. I leave for vacation this Friday. I will be taking the very basic, broadly, hardly even a bullet point list that Thief Down and Out currently is, and I will be writing out the new version of those rules over that. So by the end of my vacation, I should have a more complete and playable version of the game. I'm very excited about that. Cool. All right. That's it. That is it. So with that, we are going to move into the meat and potatoes of the show, and we're taking a look back now at Dungeon Talk episode 23, part three. This was our yes. first three-parter episode because, again, back then we had more stringent limits on how big of a file we could upload, and I didn't understand Audacity well enough to know that I could adjust the settings down and get more audio at the same quality, yada, yada, yada. Uh, so this is our first three-parter um, I've not listened to this one in a very long time. So this is the one we still had Nico on, right? It was yes. me, Evan, and Nico. Yeah. Also, you all used to record for like four hours. Like, I'm like, what are you, how are you still talking about this stuff? 
Well, it, we didn't know that we were, it's like the thing with Smallville. We didn't know we were going to get 10 seasons, so we thought we had to get it all out. Yeah, okay, I guess so. Okay, so this, you guys were wrapping up your conversation, and one of the things that got brought up was, what do you play next? Okay. Mm-hmm. So you all had just wrapped up a D&D campaign, D&D Next campaign. It was in its playtest season. But the playtest was done at this point. It had just finished up, and now you all were just waiting for D&D to come out. All right, And they were still doing a few other little things and whatnot. But you all were trying to figure out, well, what do we do next? Do we keep with D&D next, knowing that we'll eventually have to switch over to 5th edition? Or do we go to uh, Savage Worlds or 13th Age? And there was varying opinions. Um, so Evan really wanted to just stay with D&D next because he wasn't, he felt like he had just learned something mm-hmm. and he wanted to keep on playing it. And he didn't feel like he would be able to play the same type of character in one of these other games. Michael and Nico, they wanted to try out, I think, Fantasy Age. You all wanted to try out something different. So uh, where, where'd you all land on that? So is this before or after Made Men? Like, is Made Men, this Maid, is when Made Men I don't ended? know. You don't say what the campaign is, I don't think. So my guess is that this is prior to Made Men. So this is probably, we probably stick with D&D next and do the Made Men. I know that we did do the the one shot of Savage Worlds. And at yeah. some point we talked about it. We enjoyed it, but, but, or, but Nico didn't really like the Western theme. It didn't really connect with him. Uh, so I'm guessing that this would be prior to Made Men. So we stayed with D&D. Okay, stay with D&D. So, but I want to ask you then, Michael, is this like, I know you don't get to really play a whole lot of long campaigns anymore, but how do you like, what's your general, like, how do you approach campaigns? Do you like to jump campaigns to do other things or do you like, or would you like in a perfect world, just be able to do like the same thing forever? Well, it's, it's really kind of weird now. I think, I think, um, I don't remember exactly what my thoughts were back then, but I feel like at this point I have, I've made a point of like when I go to other conventions, specifically Gen Con, I like to try various games. And then we have this thing through the Discord where we have played a bunch of one shots. We now have the sample adventures that started. We're going to be playing a bunch of one shots with that. So I have played so many more games now than I did, than, than the Michael that you heard back on this episode. I've got so much more of a wide spectrum of experiences that I can I can feel like I could probably do about anything. Like if I wanted to play Forbidden Lands as a campaign, I probably know it well enough that we could start and I'll get better as we go. If we wanted to play a 13th age, I could start, we get better as we go. So it really kind of comes down to now, like what type of game do I either want to run or as the players, like we get together, like what do we want to do? Like what are we seeing here? Do we want to do like a like a Stranger Things style, you know, 80s kids on bikes type of campaign? Do we want to do high action fantasy? Do we want to do a Western? Do we want to do cyberpunk? And then, you know, whatever type of game we want, there's probably a system out there that would work for it or at least be close enough that we could, you know, maybe use it as a basis. Or, you know, I can use D&D for a lot of stuff. So it's going to be, if it's going to be in the fantasy realm, then probably I'd lean towards D&D with just some minor tweaks. But if we wanted to play something like 
Supernatural or Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Harry Potter or the Goonies, but, you know, more action-y or Stranger Things, there's probably a system out there that's close enough that I would just take that and maybe modify it a little bit. So do, I don't, for me, do you, I feel like if you don't get the chance, it's cool to jump around and play a lot of games. I do that. But I also like to have my longer form campaigns. I like being able to stick with a game for a year, you know, just like really know it, get to explore the world. I, and I feel like if you're not doing that, like you're missing out on a key aspect of role-playing games. I know that's just kind of, that's just in my opinion, man. But I feel like, I, I don't know, I wish everybody would just, just try to stick with something for a real long time. I don't know. I mean, it's like role-playing games like this. It's like going to a really nice buffet. Like why not sample around, you know, that you don't have to just get the prime rib. Like you can get a little bit of everything. You can try some stuff you've never tried before. And if you don't like it, it's fine. You know, you, you take the bite. You're like, yeah, this wasn't for me. So you won't go back and get that. But I just, I'm, I'm having so much fun playing like ones and two shots and doing these other things that that just kind of fits, I guess, where I am in the world. Like I'm, I'm in, the, in a campaign right now. It's that D&D Eberron game. We stream it every other week on Monday, but our schedule for that has been as bad, about as bad as anything I've ever been in. So we've been playing for over a year and I think we only have like eight sessions or something. So it's, it's very irregular, but it's the longest campaign I have played in. I, I can think. You really think? I think so. That well, I'm not no, as a player. It, okay, gotcha. So I'll, I, even like in your like college days? Because I was always the DM. Like I almost always DM. Like sometimes Brandon would DM, but he would DM like once and then he would never do it again. So I have not got to play very many times. And like I'm playing the same character. We're on a continuing story. And it's a lot of fun. Uh, but I also really like just grabbing a character, throwing them together, trying to be as silly and outrageous as I can, knowing that I don't have to worry about like an arc. Like I, okay. you know, I can just do the most fun thing in this moment and not go, well, is that the journey this character's on? Like, no, the journey is to have the most fun in this moment as I can. So then what about running a game? That's you playing, but you feel the same way. Like it's like, obviously if scheduling were to like work out, like, is like running a long form game something that you would want to do or would you rather use that time for trying other stuff? If we're talking perfect world scenario, I would have a consistent long form campaign that I probably run every other week. And then in the intervening weeks, I would run a one shot of various systems. See, that's what I'm saying, though. Like, you want that. Like, that's, like, perfect world for you. That's what you want. It's yes. just, like, matter of convenience, you don't do it. Yeah, I mean, we technically Shadow Spawns isn't dead, but at this point it's dead. Like, we haven't yeah. like we haven't put the, in, put the tombstone up, but it's in the ground, yeah. buried. And that was the last long-form campaign that I tried to run. And it was a ton of fun. The whole streaming part fell apart because of technology and stuff like that. And it was very sad. But as a player, as a DM, we all really liked that story. We really enjoyed yeah. the story we were telling. It was building towards something. And I, and as a DM, I like that. Probably that's, again, the sort of thing as a DM I enjoy is I like being able to lay track 
build towards something, have these moments that the players are like, oh, that's amazing, or that was cool, or I saw it coming, or I never saw it coming. As a player, I'm, I'm like a one-shot machine. I, I could yeah. play three different one-shots in a day, three different characters, three different systems, and have a blast in every one of them. But as a DM, yes, I want to pick one system and try to play a campaign that lasts 10, 20, 30 sessions if I can. Gotcha. Yeah, so when I'm doing like one-shots, and I, I agree, I, I could play like a lot of one-shots, but I just, it's a it's definitely a different experience. With the one-shots, I don't feel like I'm really telling a story. And per se, some people may, I more feel like it's a improv experience. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, I mean, you're, you're, you've told a story, but like, you know what I'm saying, like, I feel like when we've done our my long form campaigns that I've run, I'm like, oh yes, look at this novel that we have made. Right. I mean, to put it in based on it is like going to an improv experience and enjoying that show that lasted three or four hours. It's its own thing. It will never exist again in that form. Or like going to a movie or to a play. You know, one of them is a coherent story. It builds. It has arcs. It has you know twists and turns and hopefully a satisfying conclusion. And you feel this sense of like relief and maybe it changes you in some way versus this other thing that's just like a really fun three or four hours, but is somewhat disposable in some way. You know. Gotcha. I mean, I think that this. So this kind of this really ties into what I really wanted to talk about was the next campaign that me and my players, uh, Jake, Troy and Alex are going to be streaming. Right. So because we're kind of in a similar situation that you all were, we're not quite sure what we're going to do next. All right. So Alex is not going to be able to play with us. So we have two problems here. All right. So first we got to find a new player. One that we are, it's, me, Jake, and Troy, and Alex, we just had this really good chemistry that we all know each other really well. We all know each other's jokes and story styles and everything. So we just float. So now we don't want to, we want to play again, but now we're kind of like, is it going to be the same? Mm-hmm. So we're, we're trying to figure it out. So I'm going to throw what we've kind of talked about is Jake wants to run the new campaign. I'm totally cool with that because I've never done a long campaign before. Never. All right. So this would be my first campaign. And, you know, knock on wood, all of the campaigns that we've done have finished. All right. They, we just, we finish. Um, they, they may not, you know. Cookies be, are closers and you get ex- cookies. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, um, but Jake's going to run it. And he wants to do a long-form campaign, all right? Long-form campaign. But I am, you know, everybody knows I'm not the biggest 5th edition fan. Jake wants to do 5th edition. So, but I'm like, I'm going to get bored with that. So what we're thinking we're going to do is we're going to do a bunch of mini arcs that kind of tie into one big arc. And But we're, I, I don't know, I'm just kind of, saying words right now because we just don't know i don't know what to do next do i play dnd i don't know you'll have fun maybe. like it's things you will have fun maybe it's not as much fun as a different system for you but it's not like you're gonna walk away going i didn't have fun tonight so here's a question for you then i guess you really haven't played a long campaign before what i'm terrified of is me being the dungeon master all the time 
I don't ever get bored. I'm afraid that I'm going to get bored as a player. Like, I'm going to get bored of using this character. Like, when you're a game master, you get to always come up with new stuff. But mm-hmm. if I'm a player, I'm like, I'm stuck with this for, like, the next two years. <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean, I haven't really found that. Uh, again, the, the biggest thing I can draw on right now is that Eberron game that I'm playing in. And I'm playing a very typical Michael character. But I get to keep having fun because the DM is doing a very good job of telling an Eberron-type story. If you like Eberron, Ralph is knocking it out of the park as far as this This feels like an Eberron game. It's got all the things you would want an Eberron game to have. It's very, very, very much Eberron. So we're globe hopping. We're going from different places and cities and, and you know, uh, cultures and creatures and species. And so every time we play, I get to insert my character into a new situation. So it's still fun. So it's not like it's just the same situations over and over again. And, you know, again, I'll give Ralph credit for the way he's keeping the story moving, I have not gotten bored yet because every, every session is a new time for me to say, okay, well, how would a ghost handle this? So I'm like, I'm getting to be creative. I have to like be, uh, you know, in, like intelligent, making good decisions. There's been some combats like, well, I want to be silly, but I also don't want to get everyone's killed. So I, I'm having a lot of fun mentally navigating this circuit of how do I get to be a ghost, but also contribute to the overall success of the party. Okay, got you. I mean, what we're gonna think? We don't know exactly. Uh, so uh, the one, so the one other thing. Then, so actual plays. Talking about this one, one other thing. So yeah, what we're talking about doing is doing like three to six sessions in one time period, and then jumping forward like fifty years or a hundred years, mm-hmm. and then playing new characters, and then at the end tying it all back together. I, I, it feels complicated. I don't know. I feel like you've done some complicated stuff. Haven't you done some complicated stuff like that? Some weird things like story structure wise? Yes. And sometimes it works. Most often it doesn't. But again, I have a habit of campaigns dying. So I never got the opportunity to actually see if I could wrap it back around. But I've done a few things. Uh, I was actually, it was one of the times we did the thing in Cleveland where we rotated. So I did get to play quite a lot just because there was like four DMs and we would rotate. And one of the DMs decided to take us like 20 years into the future. And that was like, I think like maybe the last session, like it was like a game killer situation. Nice. Okay. So the other topic was, uh, how do I bring in a new, uh, player? Yeah, this, this, there's a, this will come up soon in this, in, in the old episodes. Okay, we need somebody, okay? So, and look, there's a lot of people that I enjoy playing games with, all right? I I think about all the people in our Discord. There's a lot of people in our Discord that I like playing games with, that I would like to play a campaign with. But trying to find the player that meshes with Troy is, Troy could play with anybody. But if you've listened to any of our episodes, me and Jake are very particular about stuff we have very particular sensibilities and we share that we are very very similar all right and how we run games and how we tell stories and so me and jake were just texting the other day just like oh man what are like is it dead like are we gonna be able to do this again we we did two great campaigns we want to do another one what is it gonna be like so but i don't know if you have any good suggestions for people who you may think they fit <laughs> Let me know. Yeah, because you you have an interesting dilemma um, because not only is this 
trying to bring in a new player to your game, it is also a streaming game. Yes. So you need someone who's reliable, who can be there for each session, who has audio, video equipment, uh, is comfortable in that environment, willing to let you put their likeness into the ether forever on the internets, uh, and who, again, dispensers, who maybe challenges you enough to make the dynamic fun, but fits in well enough that it's not going to cause conflict within the actual people itself. Um, I I don't have a good answer. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, because like, yeah, that was the other thing, because for the most part, yeah, we missed a few sessions here or there, but Jake, Alex, and Troy were like super reliable. They were every Wednesday, 8.30. We were logged in 30 minutes before we were supposed to play. They read the session notes. It was like, and we've done this for like three or four years now. So we'll see. It's a new t- new territory. Yeah, so what I was thinking of, I, I kind of misread your question. Um, I, and I know this will come up at one point, but basically in like, after the first three or four sessions of Made Men, I brought in Jared for a little while and did not go well. And then yes. a few yeah. weeks uh, a few weeks later, I brought in Travis, and it worked better. But it was it was an uncomfortable situation at first. Uh, the way I decided to do it, um, I took a shot, didn't work. We worked through it but it was sort of a lesson learned. So I, I, that's not exactly what you were talking about. I was talking about adding a player to an existing game. You're talking about bringing a new player to a party that's about to start a game. So a little bit different. Yeah. So yeah, but similar though. So, okay. Uh, the, yeah, so we'll be dealing with that. So look forward to a new streaming show. It's going to be crazy. You're going to have somebody new in it. Jake's going to be running it. I'm going to be playing. So I'm excited. Are you playing so, Warlock? I... I am probably going to play a warlock, but um, I'm thinking I may do something different. So mm-hmm. we shall see. Um, okay. Who knows? I may play a wizard. I don't know. All right. So Wizards uh, are fun. They are fun. So we'll see, though. All right. So the next topic is that you guys talked about, which I think this is interesting. Uh, this could be a quick conversation, but is there a simple way to track NPC interactions like a Bioware game? So Mass Effect. Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, I know you're a fan of those games, right, yep. Michael? You yeah. explain like what what we mean by this. So uh, essentially, well, th- well, there's a couple different avenues. But essentially, you have NPCs that you interact with, and you're going to have options for the way that you respond in the game. Generally, there's like a good version, like the Paragon version, and then there's like a negative version, like the Renegade version, and not only can the way you interact with them cause them to change how they respond to you, it can cause different branching avenues of how the story will go. Uh, but also like you will maybe meet the same character later. And let's say you, you, your Paragon score is so high, they might have different options for you than if they weren't. And if you have a high enough score in like your charisma, they might have different options than if you didn't. So this, is, this, would, this sounds very complicated to do at the table. Yeah, I, I don't think you could do it the way the games do it. Um, I, I mean, you probably could, but it would be so gamified. There's no way I would handle it. But I do think there are ways that you can track, oh, you know, the PCs help this NPC out. If this NPC comes back, they're going to have a favorable view. Or, oh, the PCs just did something. If that NPC found out they did this, they might be upset by it. And then you decide whether or not that NPC has heard about this or not for, you know, however the story makes sense. 
But I do something kind of similar. You know, I've mentioned many times the way I organize my campaigns before I start them. I use my note cards. I got them color coded and, you know, everything references back and forth. So if an NPC has had an interaction with a PC to the point that I think it's significant, then I will put that information on the card. Like I will, you know, like, uh, you know, Jessica saved the tavern owner. Um, and I'll put that on the tavern owner's card. So I know that, oh, yeah, that's right. That's last time, you know, they were saved by Jessica or Jessica's character. And sometimes I'll put like a little plus or like a little minus next to it. Like they have a very positive interaction. They have a positive thought relationship or yeah. negative. So, I mean, it's very much a shorthand. It's very easy for me to forget or to neglect, but yeah. I do that sort of thing with my campaigns if I think it's significant enough, but it's not every NPC. It's not every time. And it doesn't usually like in the game, you could miss things like, Oh, if they, they do this and this and this, and then they talk to the NPC, there'll be a new quest. And then in, in a role-playing game, I can't, build a whole quest that they may never get to. Yeah. So they're going to get to that quest, but they may get to it a different route. If they, if they don't go the way I think they're going to, I'm still going to find a way to use that quest. Cause I can't afford to waste the time to create that quest. And then it just not get used at all. Yeah, exactly. This is like, seems like something that would require so much prep for not a whole lot because not all the paths are going to be taken. And then also what's different a video game, those NPC interactions are typically binary. You know, you have one or two choices, or you, you, get, you have a couple choices. Whereas in a role-playing game, I don't know how my players are going to interact with this NPC. I can predict, kind of, based on the motivations that I'm putting in front of them, but not all the time. But what I do think would be really cool, I'm, I'm, like, I'm picturing this in my head, because I actually would really like this, but I feel like what I would need is a smaller scope campaign. So like not a sandbox game. Like if you were thinking like D&D, I would think like something like Curse of Strahd, you know, a small land that there's only a, there's only so many important NPCs. Then you have a chart, like a big old flip out chart that's got a, just charts and tables, like interaction one, and then almost like a branching tree and, a flow chart with arrows going back and forth. Yeah, you and need a computer program like a video game to manage like a video all that. game. Yeah. Exactly. I I don't know. I think it would be really cool to do this. See, I feel like I'm gonna make I'm gonna throw out some wild numbers. I'm gonna guess that like eighty percent of DMs do this, but they do it in their head. Yeah. They just like oh yeah they had three and you know they had three positive interactions. Okay, I'm gonna let this NPC give them something. Yeah. Like it wasn't written before the campaign necessarily, but they're like, okay, I need them to get the key to the temple. All right. It'll be this person because they've been nice to him three times. I need them to have the key. So this, so I feel like that's being done, yeah. but it's being d done in like quantum ways where there's not truly these connections. It's not flow charted out. But if you look at it from a far enough view, you can see the branches and the connections. Yeah. I think it's just us like, f like tricking ourselves into think wanting it to be more organized mm -hmm. when it it's happening more organically. Yeah, what's know? that? Uh, there's a phrase for that, that humans will see patterns and things that don't exist. Yeah, it's, we want to see that pattern. So I will say this, as far as NPC interactions go that I've used in games, official rules. All right. D and D really doesn't have it. Um, there's occasionally some adventures will have some special NPC rules. Uh, Forbidden Lands has some really um, 
very simple rules. They're not complex at all. It has to deal with every time you do something important in front of an NPC or you make them mad or you make them happy, your reputation goes mm-hmm. up. It's just a single number. Yep. Then whenever you go into a town, you roll as many dice as you have reputation. And if a six gets shown on those dice, people in town know who you are. So that's like the extent of trackable NPC progression. Mm-hmm. Um, very simple. It's not like different things are happening. It's just like, oh, they know who you are. Right. So I did a few things in my Shadow Spawns campaign that I think worked really, really well. Uh, it wasn't anything, again, that I tracked it, but whenever I had an NPC that I knew was going to be important, like I created them for a reason, I always created them with one character in mind of who I thought they would have the closest connection to. And there are times where that didn't work out and I was flexible enough, but I pretty much said, okay, this is going to be Daria's characters or um, uh, Lisa's character, Daria's NPC. And, but they ended up having a relationship with all three of them. So it would be interesting, like Daria might have a really positive relationship with them, but they don't really care for the other two characters or vice versa. And so it allowed me to have a little bit of like um, depth to the characters. It wasn't like, oh, this NPC universally beloves the party or this NPC Uh, doesn't like the party. It's like this NPC really likes Daria, could care less about the other two. And that kind of creates some interesting role play situations, particularly when like when Daria isn't available. And so one of the other two have to go to this NPC and say, hey, we need your help. And they're like, well, why isn't Daria asking? Well, Daria's the one in trouble. Then let's go. You know, so again, it sort of fakes a little bit more depth than maybe there really was. Uh, But that's just sort of a quick thing. When you if you have an NPC, you know, it's going to be around. Let them have different feelings towards different characters. It doesn't have to be like tracked on a chart, like a plus seven to negative four. But there's their favorite there's their least favorite. Just start with that. Yeah, I did that in Ghost of Salt Marsh, and it became a trope. Whenever I made a NPC like one of the other members of the party more than the other, that NPC was killed by one of the by the other players. Like it just happened every time. They were just like, "Oh, this NPC has a favorite. It'd be ashamed if they got stabbed." And yeah. I just like <laughs> nice favorite NPC you got there. It'd be ashamed something happened to it. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, so anyway. Well, so let's throw that out to the audience. That'll be a great call to action. Anyone out there listening, do you have a way that you track this sort of thing, like the different levels of positive or negative interactions with NPCs, any way that you have found that makes this easy to implement, but you know, thoughtful and fun for your players to interact with? I would love to hear from you. Cool. Uh, yeah, let us know. Yeah. Uh, listener questions. We had a bunch on Discord. We, we I, I narrowed it down. All right. Mm-hmm. We, I narrowed it down. All right. And these are real people asking real questions. Real real questions. Uh, Actually, Targaris comes from, um, his question comes from Twitter. And this may sound like something that we've answered before, but I don't think it is. I want to talk about this. So what's your go-to idea, all right, when you want to run a game based on something and there's no official RPG out there for it? Do you find a fan game? Do you make something using a generic system? Do you shamelessly adapt D&D to it? So have you done this before, Michael, where there was a some sort of medium or show, something you loved, and you wanted to run a RPG, maybe a one-shot of it? What did you do? So, so I'm just going to say yes to all of these. 
dependent on the situation. So like I've done that before, like uh, Supernatural, the TV show. Like there's now a game called Monster of the Week that is very much built to let you run that type of game. Same thing like Buffy, X-Files, that type of thing. So in the past, when I wanted to run a game, I would say, okay, we're going to play a game that's going to feel like the X-Files. But it wasn't X-Files the game. So I would take an existing game, Back then, generally, almost always D&D, but we would create characters as if they were in the world that X-Files happened, and we would kind of ignore, like, there wouldn't be goblins in the game. There would just be, you know, other agents, and, and like, the tone, like, the way I would describe the scenes and the environments would all feel like an X-Files-type game. Now, I'm sure there is an X-Files game where I could find something, you know, that they could, like, a generic system, Savage Worlds, GURPS, Cortex, Fate, that could do that. So... In today's world, I would look for a game. Like we talked before, I would love to play a Pirates of Darkwater game. I think that would be a really cool game. There used to be one made long ago. Apparently it was very bad. No one really liked it. It went away. But if I was going to do that today, I would probably find a game that I think is similar. So either a fantasy game that would hit the fantasy elements or maybe like a piratey game like 7C, that might hit the piratey. And then I would add or twist or, or, you know, work out the other elements that's missing and then go from there. Yeah. So, like, I like the idea of trying to find a fan game. There's so many of them out there. A lot of times, you know, it's nature of the beast. A lot of times they are just adapted Mm -hmm. D&D. But we've seen some really cool things with that. I will say this, most of the time now, if you want to run something, there is something similar, like you're saying, like 7th C for a pirate game. You know, there's something out there that you can kind of adapt. So I would try to find something that's not necessarily setting neutral. I would try to find a setting that kind of matches what you're close, what you're trying to go for, and then adapt it enough. I mean, stuff can be reskinned so often. Right. Um my experience with this stuff is there are so many great games out there now that I know of that I'm I'm playing those games. But when I first started playing role-playing games, all I knew was D&D. So I was like, well, hold on. I don't want to play D&D. I want to do some Justice League stuff. So, I'll, But all I knew was D&D, so I just kind of made a Justice League game, mm-hmm. one shot, that I did with D&D. I will say this, uh, as far as generic systems go, if you want to do like an anime game, Fate is amazing for adapting any sort of anime style game. I know Jake has in Jake has made a Naruto one shot, if that's something you're into for Fate. It's it's very weeby, but it's very fun. So anyway, that's yeah. Yeah, I think Google part of it, it. would de- de- depend on, is this going to be a one-shot? Like, do I want to play Thunder yeah. the Barbarian one time, or do I want to run a campaign of it? Because if it's one time, I would be more likely to look for something fan-made. But again, again, as someone who's a hobby designer myself, if I'm going to play a lot of, I want to make sure there's enough depth to the system that it's it's going to work. It's not going to get broken on the second level because somebody somebody takes this one power and then they win everything. And love it or hate it, D and D has been play tested the crap out of, and there's a rata to fix things. So, if I'm going to play a long term campaign, I'm probably going to go more likely if there isn't a game that exists for it. I'm probably going to take something I know very well and try to make it work just because I know that it will work throughout. And you're saying that's for would be for like a long term campaign, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm 100% agree. If it's a long-term campaign, I would probably pick Fate 
or Genesis, like, because I like those and I feel like I could adapt them, but it's going to be more work. But I'm going to be more inclined to put that work in if it's going to be a longer campaign. Mm -hmm. But if it's something short, one shot, I'll just grab D&D and just because I know it so well and it's so easy to reskin. Like you were saying, instead of having a goblin, it's just a agent, you yeah. know? Yeah. Okay, it's got seven hit points. And it doesn't have a doesn't have a bow and arrow. It's got a gun. Like, right. yeah. It's like yeah, you can just reskin pretty much anything. And again, I know that doesn't work for everything. And and there is something about a game that the mechanics help uh, yes. facilitate the mood and the tone and tenor of the game. But for a quick and dirty, you can say it's D and D, but you're superheroes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Every, everyone else is a commoner. No one else has these abilities. And yes, your ability that lets you shoot a bow, you're now Hawkeye. You're the only person in the world that can oh. shoot a bow with that bonus because you're Hawkeye. Oh, you have a shield. Guess what? Captain America has a shield. You're using the shield rules, but you're the only person in the world that gets to use those rules because you're Captain America. You could make it work with very little work to be done by you for like a one shot or a two shot. Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, so next question comes from Caleb. All right. So, this question is near and dear to my heart. I love this. All right. How do you build suspense in danger with a recurring villain without the cheapness of them running away from a fight or just barely surviving or coming back from the dead? You know, so like when the PCs get lucky and kill them too early. So, a couple thoughts here we've talked about before. Uh, Villain cutscenes where you just let the players hear what the villains are up to. They're, they're not physically there. The characters are there. There's no way they shouldn't have this information, but it's like a movie where you cut over and you just see the villain doing their villainous things. And so they know that it's happening. You could have the PCs always one step behind. So whenever they walk into a new place, villains already been there. There's already tragedy. So they're just constantly coming behind and finding the leftovers of, you know, people being uh, hurt or taken or, you know, killed or whatever the case may be. And then you can also build in, that feeling that the that this the in, the bad guy is a mastermind that every time they lose or, or things don't go their way, you just add in an element of well, the reason why you didn't succeed was because of them. They they yeah. did that. They were the ones that caused you to fail. They were the ones that that outwitted you or outsmarted you there, whether that was built into the plan or not. So that they they have a, a person or thing or entity to blame for all the setbacks along the way. You just make it where that setback was because of this character, not just because you rolled poorly or you made bad decisions, but this entity was actively working against you, but you didn't know it till now. Yeah, I love NPC villain cutscenes. Give the players that meta knowledge, like just let them know. It adds so much more, like because the players are gonna they they start to hate the villain when they see the villain doing bad things. But if the villain is only doing bad things to the players or in front of the players, that it's just it makes the players. It's just that just becomes a sack of hit points. Like they need to see that villain doing things. I like the reason I like this is because. I talk about Curse of Strahd all the time, but like that is such a good campaign for having that recurring villain because it's a villain that is so much more powerful than the players. Like that's the key thing too. Your villain needs to be so powerful. Um, it needs to be like something that the players fear. All right. 
and they may sub- just they may not actually fear this villain, but they know that oh hold on if we actually get in a fight with this thing we're dead. All right, so we need to avoid it at all costs. So when that just gives you opportunity for the villains to hunt the players, it just it makes it more more tense. Um, so anyway, yeah. yeah uh, then, one thing I would add, I, I know the name carries some negative baggage these days, but one piece of advice that GM Jim McClure gave me that I think is amazing is have a villain be a minor inconvenience to the players and they will hate them. Like, like they can't cross a bridge because the other NPC is like having like a parade. It doesn't have to be Uh like kill somebody, steal something. Just you go to your tavern. I'm sorry. The room we promised you, we can't do it because this person showed up and they have an entourage and every room is filled. Oh, you wanted to get into the, sorry, you can't every, every seat has been taken. Just minor inconveniences to the players will drive them batty and make them hate that character, even though it's like petty little things. And I, I find that to be true. That is really good advice. Thanks, Jim McClure. Thanks thanks, for something. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, No, yeah, no, that's awesome. I I really do like that. I've never heard that before, but it makes total sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, so general Discord convo. All right, that's who this question is from. I think Caleb (laughs) started this conversation, but all right. So, Michael, I really I'm curious to see from your experience too, playing some older editions of D&D. What are your experience with gear and equipment? Do we need to worry about no, that? No, not at all. I in, Unless I'm playing a game that that is a part of the game, like Forbidden yeah. Lands. Absolutely. In Forbidden Lands, yeah. I expect that we're going to be tracking things because it, it can truly be a life or death life or death difference. Like, did we pack three torches or five? We might yeah. die based on the answer to that question. It's part of the game. It's fun. In D&D, no. I have completely gotten rid of this. We do not track encumbrance. We do not track anything. Again, un, unless we need to, and I won't throw this against the players unexpectedly, but I might tell them, hey, you guys are getting ready to go into a dungeon situation. I actually need you to write down your gear because once we're in the dungeon, we're going to track it because that's part of this element. It's like part of the dungeon crawl. But other than that, basically they kind of have like a wealth score. And if they're trying to bribe somebody, they're going to have enough gold for that. If they need a room, they're going to have enough gold for that. If they want to go buy a horse, they're going to have enough gold for that. If they want to buy a kingdom... Then yeah, we might be like, well, okay, well, how are you paying for this? But for the most part, I just assume they have enough wealth to do the things that they would normally do in a town. I just think it's easier, it's cleaner, it's more fun. I I don't track any of that anymore. Yeah, I, I don't track um in D and D. I don't track gold and stuff. My players, they will, but like if they want to buy something, they're like, oh, does this shop have this thing? And I'm like, yes. I have had so many great experiences with my players who've like, we don't track encumbrances or weight or something, but they'll say like, oh, um, hold on. I have this, I've got this candle. I'm going to use this, melt this wax over this door frame so I know if anybody followed us through here. Or mm. different things like, different like, I feel like gear just creates these interesting role-playing moments, especially if they have them on their sheet. Like I said, Make this simple for your players. Don't don't make them track their weights. Give them give them opportunity. If they want something, let them have it. Like they're like, oh, I want a pot, and I'm like, well, where are you gonna find a pot? I'm like, oh yeah, um, yeah, this guy over here, he sells pots. Like he'll give you a pot. They're like, how much is it? I'm like, 
I don't know, two cop or like it's yeah. like I'm not but like just having them having stuff that isn't magic items is great. A a good in-game way to kind of avoid encumbrancism if you care about if you care about that is just give them like a bag of holding. Yeah. Like I just give like let your players have a bag of holding. They then will take so much stuff. They take <laughs> yes. so much stuff and they'll they'll just put it in the bag and then they'll never use it. But there'll be like maybe one thing that then they'll remember that they have. Like in our in our in our Salt March game, early in the campaign, they captured a bunch of they captured a bunch of pixies for whatever reason. They were there and they just got this bag of holding, so they were just kind of taking whatever they could and just putting it in the bag. So they took these pixies because they wanted to like make some sort of flying thing later on. And then they completely forgot about that. Right. They completely yep. forgot about that. We're talking like like last session of the campaign, they remembered about these pixies and they're like, Oh yeah, let's do. And so they like pulled them out and they did something with them. So I don't know. I think it's cool to give players items, give them a way to keep them. It's that whole, like Chris in our, in the discord from redemption was mentioning the 10 foot pole. Mm. Like, I think that's so cool. Like, like a player's like, oh yeah, I got a pole and I'm tapping it around. I'm not having them roll perception every time for it, but they have it. So if mm. they come across a trap, I'm gonna let them find it. I mean, I forget about passive perception scores anyway. Right, right. So yeah, I will. I mentioned that I think Shadow of the Demon Lord has an interesting mechanic for that. You don't track arrows or like other consumables for like spells or whatever. But whenever you attack, you roll, and if you get a critical failure, then that means you're out. It's like, so you just have unlimited arrows until you roll a one and then guess what? You're out and then you don't have any more until you have a chance to go into town and, and buy more. And like I mentioned, I think it was on, it was on Reddit or Facebook somewhere. I mentioned this and someone came out like, that's a terrible, I would hate that because I, I, I make a point of buying arrows every time. And then you arbitrarily tell me, well, then you know what? Then don't use it because that you're not the type of person that's a good fit for. But for me as a DM, I think that's a fun way to track it. You don't have to ever worry about it. But if you roll a one, then now you're in that scene where you're, you're Hawkeye and you've run out of arrows. And now how are you going to manage? I think that's a fun scene. So I think it's a fun mechanic. But if you would hate it, then no, I probably wouldn't force you to use that. But for someone who thinks that's a cool mechanic, then, then do it. And I also would say that like when this came up in Discord, that when Caleb, um, I think he was the one who asked the encumbrance thing, start, kind of started that. My first response in my head was that meme of the two astronauts on the moon. And one person's yeah. looking at the moon going, wait, no one cares about encumbrance. And the other astronaut has a gun to their head saying, never did. Uh, yeah. That's how I feel about it. It's also, look, I've been talking a lot of good things, I feel like, about D&D this podcast. Yeah, you got to turn it around. I got to turn it around. Look, I'm not saying that the bag of holding is a good design. Like, it's like a cheat code, like, to hide, like, the fact that the game has never figured out encumbrances. Like, it's, it's, so, but, you know, if you're going to play the game, just give them a bag of holding. It's the same thing. Look, Forbidden Land, I talk about, it's got great encumbrance rules and consumable stuff but even forbidden lands has the peddler class and one of their um one of their skills or talents they can get is the it's not the bag of holding it's the bag of many things or whatever and it's basically this whole idea of like you can roll and if you're successful you can then pull that item out of your bag. And it's not that the bag is magical. It's just that you had the forethought to bring that item. I played a peddler in that game that we played already. And there's actually levels to that. 
Yep. So like, it's like a size thing. Like at a certain level, I can roll and I can pull out a small object. Oh, I have two candles or I have a pot or I have this. <laughs> at higher levels, the power gets increased and you can roll and oh, you can have like a large, like, oh yeah, I have that trunk. Oh yes, I have that, you know, kettlebell or whatever the F, I don't know. But I, I mean, yeah. that's a, it's a way to make it work so that you can sort of like you, you, in your head, you see that person going, wait, I think I have that. And they start digging through their, all the various pouches and packs and everything like, aha, I do have that you know, cast iron yep. skillet that we needed. Uh, and it's a, it's a trait to that character class that lets you sort of envision the, that moment that you see them doing that. It works. Is it the greatest mechanic in the world? No. Does no. it do what it needs to do for that type of character? Yes. So it's fine. Yeah. So, but items, I love items. I think they're cool. So let your players have them. There, there is also, um, there's a comic called uh, Knights at the Dinner Table. Yeah, and I, yep. I think there might have been some like hubbubaloo with the person who created it, so I'm not sure if it's like, you know, like, I, don't, I don't know where we're at on whether or not we can recommend that comic anymore. I don't remember. I feel like there was some issue with one of the creators or the creator, but there was a really funny segment in that I used to read the comic regularly where the players did, they like put like an entire army of pixies in I think their bag of holding and they forgot about them for years, and when they went back to get them, they had like formed up an offensive and they came pouring out of the bag with like, you know, attacking the players because they've had years to plan out this assault. Uh, it, your story made me think about that. I'm sure I'm misremembering parts of it, but it was funny. Okay. Yeah, no, super cool topics today. Thanks for the questions. Folks. Yes, it, very yeah. much. And again, feel free yeah. to send them in anytime. Send me emails, the RPG Academy at gmail.com. Not, not just the day of when we call out for questions. Yeah. And if you're listening and you're not part of our discord, but you want to be a part of these conversations, Feel free to shoot us a link. You can email Michael at uh, therpgacademy at gmail.com or myself, tom.therpgacademy at gmail.com, and we'll give you that Discord link. Absolutely. Uh, And then just quickly, um, convention update. Right now, I'm still planning on going to uh, Gen Con. You, however, are not going to Origins, which will be this week again. This episode will probably come out tomorrow. The house thing just made it impossible, so you're not going to be there. If Origins was like two, like three weeks from now, like psh, perfect. But like, yeah, it's just like we're just now at the point where like we're almost settled. So, but anyway, that's where we're at. All right. So, anything else before we wrap things up? No, that's it. The Batman game is over a million dollars. So, I'm super excited to play a licensed 5e game soon. So, anyway. So, did you back it? Did you back yeah, it? Yeah, I backed it. Oh, yeah. I backed it. I'm getting all the stuff. I'm getting the dice, you know, the maths, did everything. How much are the dice as an add-on? It's like nine bucks. Okay. If you will, add a second set and I will pay you $9. Because I do, I would kind of like those dice, but I'm not back in that Kickstarter. All right, cool. I will add a set of Batman dice for you. Fantastic. So, thank you everybody for listening. As always, we love hearing from you. You know, you're versions of what you thought questions for other uh, other episodes that kind of thing so please email the show the rpg academy gmail.com please consider supporting the patreon patreon.com slash the rpg academy um, if you are an amazon prime subscriber and you're not already supporting someone please consider doing it it's, again there's a little bit of setup there's a little bit of hassle but it's basically a free four bucks a month sending to the show which does add up if we can get 10 20 people that do that every month that would be a huge influx into the support for the show. Um, you can find me, of course, at the RPG Academy on Twitter. That's where I'm most active. I am leaving for vacation this coming Friday. 
I'll have my laptop. I'm going to be working on Thief down and out, but I probably won't be as active or around as usual. And then it's not too long till we're into July, and then we're not too far until we're into Gen Con, and then it's right into a Catacon Kickstarter. So there's a lot of things coming. Tom, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at BezcarTom. That's Mandalorian Metal Tom. All right. So, have you watched Obi Obi Kenobi Obi Wan Kenobi Obi Kenobi Obi Kenobi? Have you watched Kosh Bagash? Have you watched the first three episodes? I have. Spoiler free review. Scale of one to ten. How you feeling about the Obi Wan series? It is the Star Wars movie that I wanted. As a prequel kid, man, this is hitting all the right notes. Not as not enough Jar Jar as I would have liked, other than you know that recap at the beginning. But you know, beggars can't be choosers. Excellent. All right. Well, I appreciate your insight to that. Again, spoiler free as always. The boys just came out first couple episodes. It's wild. I'm loving it. There's so much coming out right now. The boys. I'm loving it. Next, actually, this week Kamala Khan, the first Miss Marvel or whatever. Hasn't that came out already? No, this Wednesday is the first episode. Stranger Things okay. Volume 4 or Season 4 Volume 1. I loved it. I thought it was great. Yes, there's some parts I didn't care for, but overall, I think it's a very strong season. I think it's going to be amazing. So it's it's a good time to be alive if you're a nerd watching TV. And these are the types of conversations we have in the Discord, which is why you should join us there. Yes. And as always, again, as quickly, there will be links in the show notes to the Trevor Project. We'll have information on the text crisis line and to the number to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline because uh, we want everyone to have easy access to the things that they might need if they're feeling like maybe something's going on with them. Uh, And then finally, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy. Or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.